Good evening and welcome back to another edition of the It's Not Orange podcast. Tonight we'll be looking back at a frustrating nil-nil draw with Port Vale and looking ahead to the weekend's game with Leighton Orient. Joining us this evening is Paul from the Orient Outlook podcast. Good evening, Paul. How are you? Good evening. Yeah, very well, thanks. Nice to see you. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Um, how are you feeling after Tuesday's frustrating defeat? Yeah, it's, it is frustrating. I think that's exactly the right word. We, you know, we were tormentors in chief of our own kind of demise really in a sense that we were at fault for the three goals you know we didn't win our battles with Lowe um, the, the two goals that he scored and switched off completely unaware of the man behind us for the third goal who just walked in behind our our right back and, and just tapped in from from close range it's, it's easy when you switch off and you make mistakes or you you lose your individual personal battles it's, it's really easy to 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 lose a game that honestly perfectly I think we were the better team for most of that game uh, and we were down to 10 men from the 50th minute so we played pretty much all of the second half with, with 10 men um, so I think there's a lot of positives from that and a lot to take away from that so I'm not downbeat too much about it you know bear in mind this is just the third game of the season um, it's it's quite easy to get carried away when you're doing well and, and sort of get high with the highs and, and when you're not doing so well or things aren't going for you or people are making basic mistakes um, or, or simple mistakes, they are correctable. So you don't get too low with the lows either. So from from our standpoint, we're three games in. Would I rather have won all three games? Obviously, um, but we're not in that position. But anyone that's freaking out about not winning your first three games, I think, I think football's probably not the game for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and joining us back from his holiday is Kurt. How you doing, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Um, I think Blackpool fans probably want to listen to this one. I haven't listened to Paul with, um, you know, the way they've started and the way we've started. It sound, it almost sounds like um, we both started with three losses. But um, yeah, looking forward to talking about it. I think it's going to be a bit of a different tone this week. So um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Paul, uh, talk to us a little bit about how you started uh, supporting Leighton Orient and a bit about your podcast. So I started supporting Orient quite a long time ago. I was taken to a game on New Year's Day in 1990. We played a little team called Stoke City at home. Uh, we lost 2-0. Uh, it was our, you know, it was probably a sign of things to come uh, as an Orient fan. Uh, but no, with all due respect to Stoke, you know, look at where they, what they've done and where they are. You know, they were you know, a team that went up, and um, it was it was just because it's a local team to me. I, I live in East London, Essex, in that sort of region. Leighton Orient are my closest footballing team uh, yes obviously West Ham are, are just up the road and there's Spurs and Arsenal uh, up the road and around the corner so to speak but um, no my, my dad took me to Leighton Orient and then Barry Hearn took over the club um, and did season tickets for a, for a, a tenner um, to me and my two pals my co- co-host on the Orient Outlook podcast Steve myself him and another mate of ours we, we got them and it was somewhere to be on a Saturday my parents allowed me on the tube to, to a few stops down the road to Leighton and it was a cheap afternoon out and kept me entertained. There was never any problems, never any trouble. Um, it was it was safe. So, you know, they were quite comfortable and happy for, for, for the three of us to, to do that on a Saturday afternoon. So that's what we did. And then obviously got the bug, went to a few away games, loved it. And, you know, you're bitten, you know, you're bitten by the bug then. Um, and then about... 2014, early 2014, my co-host Steve was saying that we should do a podcast. I'm like, but what are we going to talk about? It's Leighton Orient. There's nothing that goes on at Leighton Orient that, that's worth investing time into to talk. Like, we won't be able to fill 15, 20 minutes. It's going to be rubbish. 
And he said, no, it won't. It, there's, there's always stuff to talk about. And then three other podcasts got going in, in and around the summer of 2014. And if you cast your mind, well, to, to, to cast your mind back, we, we were taken over. We, we just lost out on the playoff final to Rotherham. Uh, unfortunately, we're still hurt by that. Um, and then we were taken over by um, an Italian guy whose name we don't mention um, ever. Um, he took us over and that was the kind of like the beginning of the end for us. And I actually remember the the season we got relegated. Um, our last game of the season was was at yourself. So, um, yeah, it, it was a torrid time. And but, but actually, from a podcast standpoint, it provided us with a lot of great content um, and a voice for the fans, which I think was really fundamental. I don't think we truly realised at the time what that can bring. I know you've had bad owners as well, so we kind of have that uh, in our locker that we, we we've really been down the, the you know the bad rocky roads of terrible stewardship of a football club. And podcasts like ours really do stand out to give fans a voice. And and the new owners were listening, unbeknown to us, were listening to what the fans were saying, what our views were. Um, and and I think it really gave people a voice to to really kind of get we you know we had some good inside info that was coming to us thankfully, um, and um, yeah we were able to give a little a lot more context as to what was going on behind the scenes why things were happening, um, and yeah we were able to break news that really did help fans to keep attached to the club while the ownership of the club did their very best to kind of oil and water, uh, you know, separate us and keep us very, very apart from the club, which is a bizarre thing to do. Um, but yeah, so that, that's how we came about. And uh, yeah, we're, we're one of one of uh, uh, three that are going at the moment. But but yeah, we, we've been around since 2014. Love what we do. Love the engagement that we get. And uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoy doing it. Nearly 10 years of podcast and must, obviously you must like it because um, obviously it's a long time to stick around. I'm sure the fans do as well. So thanks for giving us that insight. Um, we're going to get straight into all things Blackpool. So um, I'll give you a reintroduction as soon as we've done our chat about um, our amazing 0-0 draw with Port Vale on a Tuesday. So I'll give you a shout as soon as, as soon as we get straight back into the, to the Orient match. But thanks for introducing yourself and I look forward to uh, catching up with you in a minute. Um, so Martin, we started the week game against Port Vale. One, obviously, we previewed and we, we were looking forward to in a sense of making a difference and I say making a difference, continuing some some reasonable football and try to build on on what was um, what was like sort of three positive games for the Seasiders. But it wasn't meant to be. Um, it was a nil nil draw. Um, we'll talk a little bit about everything within the match that we feel that went wrong. But what was your, your, your overall thoughts about the game? Well, it was just very disappointing, wasn't it? I mean, the scene was set for a really good game under the lights. There was a, a really good crowd. They they brought nearly two thousand, which was which is really good to see, making a lot of noise. Um, you know, the, the the Blackpool crowd definitely, you know, supporting the club this season. I mean, to get to get sort of what pretty much ten thousand, nine and a half thousand home fans in in League One is is good. I think it's a lot better than it has been in previous seasons when we've been in that division. Um, and it was just set up to be a really good game, but it, it never got going. Um, we were we were just very very sluggish, um, just disappointing. Just just didn't get going, and just didn't get enough to get the crowd going or the crowd off the seat. Um, second half marginally better than the first, but the, the you know Port Vale came to do a job, did it extremely well, um, and frustrated us, and we were not good enough to break them down on the day. Yeah, Kurt, we started um, the game with the traditional 5-3-2 formation that Critchley's favoured early doors. And you sort of looked at the lineup with Beasley being dropped um, for Sonny Carey and um, with Dougal coming into into the fold for the midfield, which we kind of spoke about on the podcast today. Do we need a bit of um, battling Ilk in the midfield? And 
maybe it was the right decision to bring Dougal in, but potentially to keep Carey in up front um, in hindsight wasn't the greatest ideas because he didn't have a very good game. But what was your initial thoughts to, to the lineup um, with those changes? Um, I didn't really have too much concern about it. I mean, Beasley, for me, still a lot of question marks over him. Um, I don't think many people want to see us dropping a striker for an extra midfielder for a defensive midfielder at home um, to a side like Port Vale, who've, who've had a very mixed start, um, especially after their opening weekend hammering. Um, I think that the, the formation is fine. I think that we're going to go through this a bit. I think where people are playing is extremely um, unbalanced. Um, and we've seen that previously from Critchley. Um, we saw it definitely last year from the other two managers, but we, we seem to have this thing of attracting managers where they like to play players in peculiar positions and not just play them where they're naturally comfortable. I think with the formation and the, the style of play that we're playing at the minute, it's, it seems actually very rigid. Um, you know, with the wing backs, with trying to get to a plan, and there's not a lot of fluidity in it. Um, I thought we saw some really good movement at the start uh, versus Burton, but then when you watch the last two games, it seems to have kind of disappeared. So um, I don't want us to go too over the top over this week. I think, you know, we, we haven't conceded yet and we haven't lost yet. Um, it was disappointing, but I think we need to kind of sit somewhere in the middle and just see how the next few games go rather than uh, reacting over the top to what was a poor night on Tuesday. Yeah, Martin Kurtz alluded to the fact that Burton, I'm sorry, Port Vale had a tricky start to the season. Their opening game, actually, Johnny alluded to the fact that they were the better side and so did Critchley. So second half, clearly, they, they lost their way a little bit into concede seven. It's not only embarrassing, but not it's not what they wanted and probably not a true reflection on who Port Vale were. And Port Vale really showed in the first half what, what Blackpool fans wanted them to do. And in terms of the press and that, you know, they did put us under a lot of pressure, which, you know, we nearly come unstuck a couple of times early doors and they had a disallowed goal from from a corner, which we held the line really well in fairness, um, but potentially gave an insight into where we might be vulnerable. Who knows? But initially, if I give my thoughts on the lineup, I actually said to, to someone in, in, in a in a WhatsApp group, he hated it. He was, he was with, um, he was with Kurt. He said, you're dropping a striker at home to Port Vale. And I said, actually, if you look at it, is potentially playing a more fluid midfield, um, adding a bit of bite into it, but also obviously having Carey and Lavery, and we're trying to going to play through the middle a little bit, and with Morgan and um, Carey maybe interchanging and, and support on Lavery, but we, we were going to go for the maybe the ball playing, but it turns out Kurt and um, Matt was right. He was talking to in the um, in the group. We we end up playing a system like that where we shouldn't play a long ball, and we actually played more long balls than we've ever done before. Yeah, that that was. Um... Yeah, they, they tried it a couple of times, and there was a, there was one op, one instance where where it, it was quite a decent ball, but it was fired. It was just too hard, and Lavery tried to chest it down, and ended up going out for a, a throw in. But we, you know, who is it who said the definition of madness is trying the same thing time and time again when it doesn't work, and you just keep doing it. And that's what we were doing, and it. I just don't think we needed to be to be playing like that. I mean, as for the midfield setup, I mean, I you know I wanted Dougal in there for a bit more bite, and. Um, no, no, nobody performed, did they, in that midfield? Really, I mean, even Norburn. That's, I mean, you know, in context, that was Norburn's of the three games he's played. That's the worst, worst he's played as well. It just seemed to be endemic across the team that they just they, they, the midfield was just not effective. But, but yeah, those sort of sort of like almost like diagonal balls that you you know that they, they were they were a bit haphazard, weren't they? And it was so frustrating 
just trying to hit that early ball quickly. And we're probably going to touch on this, but I don't want Lavery to end up being how Jerry Yates was for a lot of last season, chasing lost causes um, and not not getting into that penalty area where he's where he's effective. And that what's what's worried, that worried me. If we carry on in that same vein in the next few games, that would worry me. But as Kurt says, it's important for to stay balanced about this because it was one game, and and hopefully we will learn more from that game than we would have done if we just snuck a one nil. Yeah, I think. If we'll come on to it in a minute, but if, if the chance of the end goes in, we could call it a frustrating night, but we still we still managed to, to find a way through it. But alas, we didn't. And if you look at the Exeter game and you say the Burton game was was a lot better and, and Derby, you know, we we played certainly much better. But if you look at the last two games, we are maybe sinking into the habit of trying to be really solid but not finding ourselves um, creatively. And I don't want him to fall, continue to fall into that trap and, and, and not and not be the special team that we potentially have got with the technical players on the pitch. So we are finding our balance and we are finding the ability to to maybe work. But I think Critchley will learn a lot from that game. Although he said he was happy, um, I don't myself believe he was because I think any sensible football fan and football manager could see that it wasn't right on the day. And although we kept the ball a lot, I think we made the most passes we've made in any of the four, three or four games, actually. Um, but it's just those passes went to, to one player for a lot of the game. We'll come on to that now, Kirk, because I know you want to talk about it. Um, I'm going to talk about both wing backs because I asked the the um, the ex-population for, for questions and about 15 of the, the, the 17 were about um, CJ Hamilton and, and the wing backs um, not working. So... I'll talk first and foremost about Andy Lyons, a defender I think we can safely say now is much more effective on the right. Um, he didn't have his best game against Port Vale in terms of him being the creative outlet that we want. We've said many a times it could be he could be one of the best players in League One, but currently with this system, we're kind of blunting his sharpness, aren't we? We're not playing him to his strengths. Um, yes. I agree. I don't know if I agree that he's not effective on the left. I'd say that we're too obsessed with getting the ball to CJ Hamilton. Um, we were extremely obsessed with getting it to him. I'm sure we'll talk about CJ in a second, but I think that um, we should be doing everything we can to empower Lions to get forward, to get into to space, to make things happen. If you looked at the way we played on, on, on Tuesday, you saw Albie Morgan and Dougal were almost sat like as extra wing backs at times. And I don't know why, because we were obsessed with panning it around the back, you know, Marvin to um, to Casey, Casey to the wing back or to, to, to Morgan. And we just had our centre midfielders so wide. So when you're talking about earlier on about playing it through the middle, you can't do that if all your players are sat on the edge of the pitch. And we just seem to be obsessed with it. And then what would happen? We'd find ourselves getting pushed back by Port Vale because they knew exactly what we were trying to do. And then bang, we're hitting it long to try and hit CJ or for some unknown reason, our five foot six striker. Um, so uh, for me, it, 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 there seemed to be some sort of disconnect between what Critchie was asking them to do and what they actually did in that game. And I think you're right. I don't think you'll be happy with that at all. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some serious changes this weekend and he switches it up because I don't think they did what he was asking at all. And that's probably why he didn't make changes because he was just leaving them on to get to sort it out themselves and they never did. Yeah, I think my, my point around Lyons um, not being ineffective on the left because I'm, I'm not questioning his ability, but my point is when we played the system and you, you alluded to at the start, we, we, we were fairly rigid and dare I say it, under 
uh, well, under Dobby and under even um, McCarthy at, at points, when Lyons came in um, or when he was playing, he had that freedom um, and he, you know, either down the right, um, granted, but he was drifting into the box a lot more. He was finding space in the area. He was coming in i.e. against Huddersfield, obviously, when he drifted into the box and hit, hit a shot the outside of his boot. And what I mean by that is we're not giving him the freedom to be one of the most creative players in this Blackpool side. Yeah, I agree. Um, I do agree. We, we changed it up in the second half, didn't we, a little bit, and suddenly saw James Husband getting forward and being our most creative player, which is pretty ridiculous when you actually think about it. Um, but there wasn't anybody in the box or... Uh, trying to get on the end of it. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. Probably too rigid to get the best out of the lines. So- yeah, and Martin, both wing-backs having a fair amount of touches of the ball. Um, I think CJ Hamilton had about 55 touches of the ball, but um, trying to stay balanced here about CJ's performance um, and, and be respectful to him because I think what CJ does well and what we do or what the shape does is leave a five... 10-yard space in on that right-hand side because the defender maybe cuts back to make sure he can't run at him and he gives him the space to maybe give himself a big touch, which which CJ does often if they do their research and, and maybe cut out that cross or cut out that, that the ground ball, which CJ likes to play. But Kurtz made the point already. We, we were, and the word's perfect, we were obsessed with Casey picking up the ball either drilling the ball down the line to Hamilton or when we have the ball in around the middle, the ball drifts out to the right to, to CJ. And any normal teammate or any fan, in my opinion, saw he wasn't at his game on, on Tuesday. And even a little touch to the left or, or pass, you know, a, a pass to it to to his teammates, even they were fairly flimsy and he he, he just I don't know what happens him on Tuesday and, and I appreciate he's not always been the best footballer, but he had a torrid, town, torrid time down that right-hand side, but he wasn't helped by the fact that we just passed to him. It was like when we played bowler on the right under our previous managers and we just kind of say, yeah, here's the ball, you go and do something and you try and win us the game, but it just wasn't happening and I didn't think a Critchley side would, would do that so often. No, it's a sort of, it's a bit of a strange comparison, but you know when you have a game of FIFA and you have a really quick player and you're just obsessed with giving it to him and hoping that he'll just rip the opposition apart? That seems to be what we were doing with CJ. Oh, he's the fast one, just give it to him. But he can't do his best work where where, he, where his starting position is anyway. And the fact is, he's not a wing-back. He's not a wing-back, and Critchley must know this. Uh, to me, there is no coincidence that out of the four games we've played so far... The best performance that, that the team has produced was against Derby. And I know that Derby haven't had a good start, but they're better than Burton, they're better than Port Vale, and they're better than Exeter, in my opinion. And CJ didn't play because he played Lyons and Thompson. And Thompson had a great game against Derby, I thought, in my opinion. And and CJ is not a wing-back. And he shouldn't be playing there. And I don't think Critchley's doing Critchley, to me, is hanging him out to dry playing him in that position. I really That's how I think. I, I have some sympathy for him because it's not his position. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think his accurate cross to CJ, you know, the stats probably are more in his favour, but 50%, three out of six crosses attempted um, were successful. Um, successful dribbles again for the third game he's played, um, or second game he's played, sorry, was zero. He can't beat a man. And we spoke about this before. It's it's not in his, in his locker, is it, Kurt, to pick the ball up and, and run at a man because his touch, his first touch, should I say, just kind of acts like a pass doesn't it in a sense of 
you want to see him drive down the line, but his drive down the line is almost like what a pass would be on the football pitch. The thing is with CJ is he's probably going to be ineffective about teams that are sitting deep and breaking because he then doesn't have the space up the pitch to, to head into. His, his best way of being any form of effective, and I'm still yet to be convinced, or anybody tell me a game where he's come off the pitch, or come off the bench, or he's put a 9 out of 10 performance in, or he's put a string of 7 or 8 out of 10 performances. I still don't think he's got it in him. But he needs to be isolated against the fullback or against the you know, the, one of the three centre-backs and given 30, 40 yards to run. He isn't going to get that against a team that's coming to defend and is going to snatch a hand off for a point. So what you need in, in, when you're playing these teams in League One is you need people with more intelligence when they're attacking, better movement um, and being brave, being brave on the ball. You talked about the crosses there with CJ and he can put as many crosses in the, in, in, in the world in but if he isn't putting either whipping them in the front post or aiming them in, he's he's floating them in. He's not aiming for people. He's not. They're not. He's, they're not targeting. They're just trying to get the ball in the box and hope, you know, something happens. So, you know, these floaty sort of crosses, no good. Um, you know, if you watch some of the the assists that CJ's had, a lot of them have come when he's been right on the the the, the line and dragging it back and whipping it back in for a Jerry Yates to tap in or someone to bundle in the net. That's where he's been his most effective or, you know, proper cutting it back to the penalty spot. These floaty crosses by coming back in on his, his left foot are just just no good. I think we need to really think about the quality in those in that area and whether we want to be watching CJ carry on in that position. That brings me on nicely to my next point and that's the chance creation and just to recap on your points you just made, like, you look back at games in the championship against Fulham, against Peterborough, and when we're in League One, Critchley's first time around, you're absolutely right. He drives at the drives at the defenders and plays that ball back like against Fulham when Bola slammed into net in the one one draw or Medin gets the winner against Peterborough. He's ineffective when he's running from like the halfway line, as you say. And the ch- Martin, the chance creation wasn't there on Tuesday because in the first half we spent probably twenty to twenty five minutes defending or trying to defend Port Vale's press. Um, which the deeper we got, the deeper Norburn tried to pick up the ball and that led to a chance for for Port Vale when he was sort of bundled off the ball. And, you know, they they ran through and nearly scored, didn't they? And that wasn't, in my opinion, Norburn's error. It was more of a case he was trying to pick up the ball, but as he turned around, he Port Vale played the press really well and it wasn't a foul, although he peeled for it and they should have scored from it. Yeah, they should. Um, as I say, I think Norburn was was he looked uncomfortable at times because he was. I mean, he, he obviously he's, he's very good at doing that, picking the ball up on the half turn and causing some damage. But he he was he was sold a bit short with that one, and it could easily have been have been one nil to them. Um, we just we just couldn't we couldn't impose ourselves. We were we were sort of it was just side to side, and and everyone just seemed to get in each other's way. And and again, you know, without picking out individual, we could pick out five or six that just didn't didn't play, but Albie, Albie Morgan just did, didn't get in the game either. Um, he's obviously got a really good range of passing, but it's very difficult from where he was to, to pick up the ball and show what he can do. But but Norburn, it's no 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 coincidence that, that was Norburn's worst game because because they did force us back in that first half. I mean, they were probably, they could have gone in 1-0 up Port Vale and you couldn't really have argued about it because we were sloppy and they were they, they were instantly onto us and they, they they seemed to spot a weakness straight away and that's the team as well Port Vale that are obviously galvanized by getting a good tank in the first week of the season and they're determined not to let that happen again and they and they were super well organized and just they were just on us they were never going to sit back and just let us play football 
because we did for a bit, but you're it it, it better in the second half, as I say. But but no, no, no not mid midfield was uh, was not effective at all. Very very yeah. pedestrian. Yeah, to talk about the midfield cut, um, you alluded to it. I think I spoke. We we spoke in the group, didn't we? And we said Dougal and 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 Morgan were playing, as you say, that away from Norburn and not as a unit, and that led to the exposure we saw. We, and we've seen a few times one under Critchley and, and, and two last year where we that's where the creativity didn't come from. So our chance creation was never going to happen when we all, almost had three or four players playing on the right and three or four players playing on the left and Auburn trying to sweep up a midfield that contained four or five players. And that's where they broke in many of time. And it proved in the second half where they hit us on the break that what we were doing just wasn't working. And I think bringing on that second striker in the end um, was the right thing to do because it gave us a little bit more shape and we did have a lot of the ball. We did make a lot of passes and in the second half we did get a bit of chance creation. But I think you're right. You've got to use this game as a barometer to say what is our best midfield. And I think the introduction of um, of Weir, which we'll come on to in a second, and uh, getting a bit more structure in the midfield made us look a bit bit more of a solid outfit. But this this ideology that we should be in the playoffs or in the top two, and uh, this isn't a reaction, but it we won't be that team if we continue to to play games like this and game plans like that. No, no we won't be. Um, I don't know if we will see too many teams. We might do. We'll see too many teams come and be as very negative as what Port Vale were. I, I don't know if they deserve to take a win. I, I don't think so. I think on balance, the point was very, um, very much deserved by both teams. I think when you look at the way Port Vale set up, they set up with three at the back and then they set up with four across the midfield with two in front of that and then a, a lone striker. What are we playing three at the back for? What are we playing a deep line centre mid for? We, you know, in this, it, when you're playing at home against a team like this, we're setting up to be extremely compact. We don't have enough creativity on the pitch to break teams down. And then you set up the way we did, and that's what you, what's going to happen. It's going to be a very frustrating evening because we're passing the ball around, and we're not, we don't have players at the minute. I don't feel like maybe we can be that that person. But it's going to be a bit brave to to create something. I thought we'd see more of Rob Apter, to be honest. That's the sort of player that we're looking for. You know, someone that's going to make a pass, do a little move, create a little jink. You know, someone to just create something. That's what we're looking for. You know, you can't rely on Lavery. You know, to snipping the ball off of a you know centre back, or you know, even in the derby game, Beasley scored from a mistake. You know, these these teams are going to do it. You can't rely on that. You've got to be a bit more creative, a bit more inventive. And our midfield weren't—they really weren't. And I think Norburn, to be honest, was hung out to dry, and he was, you could see he was getting a bit annoyed by it. Um, in that the fact the ball kept coming his way, and then he was having to pass it to Marvin and Jimmy, and it was. I think that um, Neil will take a prop. Yeah, I think he was right. What someone said earlier on, Neil will take a lot out of that game and have a little bit of a rethink about how they how we shape up against y- your teams um, at home, especially. Yeah, my final few points then, and um, before we talk about the Leighton Orient game, is um, is exactly what you've just suggested. So I want to talk about the positives come come the end of the, uh, this chat. But Martin, we we my question is: Are we at risk of playing Lavery out of form? Um, I mean this because pre-season has been on fire because we've played, you know, albeit with Beasley or whoever, Dale, we've played two up front to give us that structure and and um, and shape that is used to and having that support. But because we, we, we played so many long field balls and, um, on Tuesday, he had 24 touches of the ball, half of what um, CJ had and almost half of what Lions had. 
and, and so the centre midfielders as well, because he he didn't have any ability or any impact on the game. And we bring Carey in, and we talk about CJ being poor, um, to say the least, on 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 that on the right. Um, but I think Carey, in in essence, was worse. Um, he he didn't create anything. He didn't do anything. He didn't act like a second striker. He often came deep, and Lavery was just left to to be frustrated and you saw many times him throwing his arms up in the air and running himself into the ground and trying to make something happen and he even came wide two or three times and ironically when he came wide um, we looked better and he broke the lines behind the portfolio defence but he had absolutely no one in, in, in the box of him including Kerry which is his job to do so ironically mm. I think it, it proves that if we change the formation which we'll, we'll come on to um, towards the end of the pod that we are going to hurt teams and we shouldn't be doing what we've been doing against Port Vale. And that was, I actually disagree with Kurt a little bit. I actually think Port Vale did deserve to win. I think their press in the first half was excellent. They created two or three chances, one in the second half, which when they played it across goal and it was an overhit pass, should have been a goal. Um, they had a disallowed goal. They had two one-on-ones and they, they put us under so much pressure that they probably deserved to come away with a win. And, and that would have been a wake-up call for us. And I think we were fairly lucky to get a point based on the fact that we controlled the ball in the second half, but we were ineffective with it, apart from the chance Beasley had towards the end. And I think Critchley needs to get it right against Leighton Orient because we'll come on to it with Paul in a second. They have conceded eight goals. They have got injuries. And they, they're they in... I wouldn't say they're unconfident because they played well against Wickham, but we need to be taking the games to these teams. We Overall, we, we are short in, in the forward positions. You've only got to look at Bolton who have got two strikers. I mean, you know, one of them got a hat-trick in the first half. Dion Charles as well is 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 a really good striker at this level. We we have Lavery and Jury out and Beasley, and we have another striker who we've signed who is injured. Yeah. We are desperately short. Um, and yeah, if Lavery is the only striker that you can even remotely rely on, you will end up playing him when he's out of form because there isn't anybody else. And and it sent out the wrong message to me as well against Port Vale. And again, we've you know we've said on this forum on this chat on this on this podcast that we're not um, massive Beasley fans. But at the end of the day, um, we decided to, to to drop a striker and play an extra midfielder in there at home against a limited team like Port Vale. It did send out a very confusing message for me. And I'm a massive Critchley fan, but it's okay to kind of you know ask questions about that. And I and I just think we. We didn't set up. It's like we were the away side at times, but but yes, we will end up playing Lavery out of form if we don't get at least one more forward in, a goal scoring forward, not somebody who's got one in five career. We we need to we need to splash out. We need to push the boat out and be ambitious and try and recruit a striker who has got some pedigree. And I know that they're expensive, and I totally get that. But if we don't do it, we will end up being disappointed. And I yeah. it's not easy for me to say that. Because I'm very, very optimistic, and I was the other week. But watching that the other day in the Exeter game, I'm thinking we we are going to get left behind. I don't worry about us conceding goals. We are solid, but being solid in League One for Blackpool is not enough. We need to be ruthless up front, and we're not going to be unless we recruit. Yeah, I think on that, um, Kurt said like I think husband played exceptionally well. Casey was again exceptional. Um, he was flawless again. Um, really, really good stats behind him and he carried the ball forward really well as well. It was a shout out to the defence. Um, 
but but as you say, it was it was limited, it was frustrating, and it was back to where Critchley was during his first tenure. And I just want to see a bit of creativity out of him. So fingers crossed we see that at Leighton or in. I just want to say a point on the the booze at full time, although there's a minority absolutely ridiculous at this point of the season and we shouldn't be booing any any team that you know regardless of the result and it wasn't you know it wasn't boo worthy especially after not conceding again but it's more of an encouragement thing we need the fans to get behind the team especially make some noise to drive the team on so fingers crossed we get that on Saturday but we'll move on to late Orient game Paul's been waiting patiently for us and Paul I'm gonna introduce you um to talk about late Orient season so far I know it's been a somewhat frustrating set of results and the way we're talking and the way the fa- our Blackpool's fan base is reacting, you think we'd be swapping places with the way you mm-hmm. talked at the start of the pod. Um, but you start off the season with uh, probably a frustrating loss um, at the Valley, although you were very much in the game. It was a single goal. And then you've had a couple of games where you conceded some very silly goals, in my opinion. I've watched extensive highlights of you guys and I think any well inside from last season um, are set up not to concede goals and you're set up to you know, to win games one or two new, aren't you? I think the overall that he likes to do that and hit teams on the counter with pace. So yeah, we we saw that a little bit against Wickham, of course. I think you created some excellent chances. I think you had one come off the post and on the back of the keeper um, to catch it. Um, we're really unlucky. But like you said at the start of the pod, playing with 10 men against Wickham, you know, regardless of the loss, you'll take a lot of encouragement out of that. But talk to us about Leighton Orient's pre-season and your season so far. Yeah, I mean, just to hit on your point, I mean, I happily swap places with you in a sense that you're eight. You've not conceded a goal yet this season and, and um, you've not lost yet. You're one of, you know, a number of teams that haven't lost all season. I think there's a lot to be happy about. And like you said, it's three games in and I can't believe you've got booze around the ground already happy to swap places with you uh, from a standpoint that we're 22nd, conceded several goals. Um, and and but, but the goals that we've conceded have been sloppy goals that actually didn't need to happen. Um, Portsmouth, the 4-0 loss at home to Portsmouth, probably from hours away, but watched the highlights and spoken to fans. It probably wasn't a 4-0 game, it, but it was probably a lot closer than that. Charlton, you expect to be up there. Portsmouth, you expect to be up there in and around the end of the season. So, it, you know, and it's our first couple, you know, first few games back in League One. There is obviously an adjustment. We've managed to retain a lot of the squad from last season. We've lost two, I guess, key players, really. Lawrence Vigarou, uh, a keeper uh, that was clearly far beyond, uh, you know, a League Two goalkeeper, kept 24 clean sheets last season. Um, broadly, with the defence that we've we've still got, um, which is obviously a little bit of a shock that we you know we, we are conceding the goals that we're conceding. But you know he's gone to Burnley uh, deservedly. He's, he's at a Premier League club now. And Paul Smith, our talismanic, although injury prone guy, he was always the guy that would keep you get you up the pitch and keep you up there. You know we've lost that element to uh, to our game as well. But you know that might be slightly unfair in that we've signed players during the course of the summer. Um, but we've suffered terribly with injuries at the start. And I think once we're all fully fit and, and, and back in contention, I think that we will be, uh, you know, a decent side in this in this league. You know, we, we only won one of our games pre-season, but we didn't have a very good pre-season last season and ended up winning the league and playing some, some, some pretty decent football, some gritty football at times. But we ground out results and did what we needed to do and what teams that get promoted do. Win when you're not playing well and don't lose... Uh, when you're not playing that well either. We only lost four or five games last season, all season. Um, so, yeah, look, we've made the step up largely with with a good group of players that we've got. You know, the El Mazunis, the Prattleys, the Monkers, all been there, done it uh, at a higher level. Um, you know, we, we've strengthened with Joe Piggott from, from Ipswich. Um, 
Dan Ajay, who's one of the most productive wingers or attacking players in, in the league last season. Um, and we signed Jordan Graham recently from uh, ex-Birmingham um, attacking player. And we've got um, uh, Theo Archibald, who will do good things for us. We've just got to get our injured players back. Uh, we've just got to get a fully fit squad so that Richie can work on patterns of play and, and, and how we can really be quite effective and, and play the formation that Richie likes to play, which is largely a possession-based game. Uh, with a counter-attack, a huge counter-attacking element. I believe we've got those players in in um, uh, Graham and Archibald and Ajayi. Those three players, I think, can really do some damage uh, against the sides in this league. And, you know, we are only three games in, so you can't really read too much into it as everybody gets settled in and, and the transfer window's still open. You could go out there and sign a, a striker that fires you clear by... I don't know, March, April time, you know, early April. So it, it's so open at the moment. It, it's hard to pin your, you know, the nail on the masters to, to what's going to actually happen. But, you know, lots to be positive about. If we hadn't have put in the performance with 10 men against Wickham, I'd be very worried. Um, and, and Charlton as well. No shame in losing 1-0 to a side that have got, I don't know, what did they spend on, on May? Quarter of a million quid on, on, on a player? We can't compete with that sort of thing. You know, we just don't have that sort of budget. Yeah, and you've you've actually summarised really well what I was going to talk to you about. I think the players that you've brought in, like I say, the Jordan Grahams, Joe Piggott, and you've got Prattley, the Al Mazzuni signing for me when I spoke to my colleague at work who's a late in Orient fan. I just walked into work and I was like, how have you pulled that one off again? Obviously, yeah. being with Wellens last season and, and, and being in team of, the, team of the Year as well, I actually expected him to either get some time with Ipswich or or to join a different championship club on um on loan. So you did exceptionally well to sign him and agree. I about, yeah, I was about to yeah. say to you, is it a case of and you've kind of alluded to it already, but is it a case that you've you've got those play you've had to get those players to get fit because although you've you've had quite a sporadic window, like you've said, you brought in quite a lot of quality at this level as well. So I don't think Richie's any mug, but at the same time if I think it's shown that when you have your players that you've signed out or the players that he wants his ideologies to work when they're out you somewhat could be in trouble yeah absolutely so it's just a question of having a good strength in depth um and i do believe we have that it's just our strength in depth is also depth is also slightly injured as well so he's not got probably what his first 11 out there which is you know, we, that he'd probably like. You know, we're, we're playing a, a, our second string goalkeeper, if you like, uh, in um, in Sam Howes. And, and he was at Wildstone in the National League last season. So he's made a massive jump up uh, there. That's that's not fair on him because Sol Brin, we signed from Middlesbrough, who did very well at Swindon last season. Very good goalkeeper, very athletic, very good with his distribution. Um, he, he, he's hurt his foot, so we've missed him for a couple of games as well. I mean, the Plymouth in the Carabao Cup, is a bit of a buy. We don't really count that. But, um, you know, from, from, from our standpoint, I think once Richie's got his yeah, the full squad available to him, we've got a couple of long-term injuries in Aaron Drinnen, who was with us last season, and also uh, Dana Jay, who we'd signed as a replacement, I think, for Paul Smith. Uh, he, he's looking like he's out for four or five months now. Um, but we've got Jordan Graham in. We've got Theo Archibald in. We've got still got creative players within within the attacking side. Um, or 
the attacking department. But interestingly, about Idris El Mazzouni, we had uh, Martin Ling, who's the director of football at Leighton Orient, on the podcast um, a few weeks ago, and, and uh, about three, four, three weeks ago now. And, and he told us the story that he just sitting on his couch one evening and, and decided that he'd send a, a cheeky text to uh, to Idris and, and, and he texted him and said, how's my favourite Tunisian? Uh, and he said, I want to come back. So Martin picked up the phone, called him and and basically said, look, if I can get this done in 48 hours, you know, is, is it a go? Are you coming back? And he went, yeah. So Martin Martin did what he needed to do, worked with Ipswich and, and thankfully to them, they were really accommodating, got him out on loan. And I didn't think he would go to a championship side because ultimately if Ipswich didn't fancy him last season in League One and, you know, their manager was right because they got promoted as, as as champions. So it was the right decision from their standpoint. But he's helped us get promoted. I didn't see him going to another championship club. I did see him coming to a League One side. And I think respect to all other sides, I think there are a bit much bigger clubs in, interested in him. Um but from his experience of what he'd done with us last season and, and the way he was looked after and given opportunity and the warmth that the fans took to him, uh, I think it was always going to be us over any anyone else coming in for him, unless there was something absolutely outrageous that, that he couldn't say no to. I think that, you know, when you find a home, it's it's always worth considering that versus, you know, various other factors. Ipswich to London isn't a million miles away. I'm sure he's relocated, but it's not a million miles away. And, you know, I'm sure he's got friends and family down here in London. But, um, yeah, we're very fortunate to have the strength in depth that we've got. We just need them to all be fit and healthy, which I think by and large come the weekend, it wouldn't surprise me if if they are. Yeah, well, they're certainly going to benefit from from Tuesday and obviously a few a few good days to recover. So I yeah. think with the likes of Graham, etc., when they are fit, um, I know Kurt's a big fan of Jordan Graham. He showed at Gillingham the the outlet he can possess, I think 15, yeah. 16 assists. Um, um, just want to quickly touch upon your game before just going through. You already mentioned that we've ringed you luck with, with your new signing. So we're just going to talk about Tuesday. It's a bit of a whirlwind game, but towards the end, obviously, Welland shook the official's hand, as did Paul Terry, and they both ended up seeing either straight reds or second yellows from from the complaints within the game. But I just want to get your thoughts on on Wellens, obviously. Just give us a your 30-second summary on how you feel about him and what he's brought to your club since he's taken over. Absolutely outstanding man manager. Excellent and outstanding communicator. Very, very knowledgeable. Very, very tactical-minded. Looks at all the nuances within a side. Can pick out mistakes that players are likely to make or weaknesses within sides. He's very tactically astute from from my perspective, from my opinion. Um, and I'm very I'm absolutely delighted that we've managed to get someone of his caliber into our club. Um, I, you know, long term, you know, he'll go to a, he'll go on and do good things in the game. Um, but from, from, you know, delighted that we've got him. We love his style of play. We love what he's done with the squad and the, um, invigoration that he's had amongst the fan base and and you know is a great appointment for our football club and you know absolutely delighted to have him so hands off to anybody else who's thinking about it I think he was approached by somebody or we were approached by someone last season but we turned them down and said no he's not going anywhere you know he's on a long-term contract with us and you know what, what whatever that means in, in in footballing terms but um yeah he, he's a breath of fresh air for our football club absolutely positive got the fans going really g'd them up and in, in a positive way and yeah couldn't want couldn't have asked for a better better coach better manager he's brought players in 
improved them. The Idrises, for example, came on leaps and bounds last season and is going to have great impact on, on our younger players as well that we've got in and around the first team. And also those like the Dan Happies and the J- Jaden Sweeney, for example, that have come through our youth system that, that are there to be developed and, and, and progressed on. And he, he's, he's done very, very well and set his expectations and got the buy-in that we needed from the players and, and, and has lifted us. It's, it's absolutely outstanding. Um, yeah, Wellens is someone that I was mentioning in the summer. You know, he's a, he's a Manchester lad, isn't he? He's, 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 yeah. he's an ex-Blackpool lad. I don't know if he left us in the best of terms. And then he had an interesting relationship when he started playing for other teams. Um, I seem to remember him giving us a finger at Oldham away in the playoffs. But um, I'm, I'm Swindon based, so obviously he managed Swindon for a while. He, he seems to get his teams motivated and he, they play a really good brand of football. Um, and he, he kind of brings the, the fans along with him as well. So similar to what we felt a bit with Critchley the first time, I think Wellens has, has done a really good job at Leighton Orient. And what sort of formation do you see um, Wellens playing this weekend? Because I noticed in having a quick look at your other games, he's, he's, he's mixed and matched with three at the back and four at the back. Um, so w- what do you see him playing this week? Really difficult question because I don't know who's still injured and who's fit and been declared fit and ready. Play. So, and who's travelling up tomorrow uh, at lunchtime to um, you know to stay in the hotel? So it, it's it's going to be a bit of a challenge. I'd probably guess that you know look we've got we've lost Dan Happy uh, to a red card, so he'll miss he'll miss Saturday. Uh, Adam Thompson, uh, our other centre back, is 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 also out. But we've got Omar Beckles, our captain, and and Ed Turns if Ed Ed is back fit and sorry Ed is back fit because he played Tuesday night. But hopefully, uh, I I'd probably see Ed Turns the left sided centre back. Omar's the right sided centre back. Tom James and Jaden Sweeney will probably make up the back four for me. So I I probably suspect he'll do a back four. Or, uh, or, or Rob Hunt if if Tom James isn't isn't fit to play. So I'm pretty confident that we'll be a back four, uh, probably with Idris El Mazzouni, um, probably Darren Prattley, George Monker, um, and then it'd probably be Piggott, Satiriu, um, and Archibald as, as the front three. So it'd be some sort of mishmash of a 4-3-3. Four, two, three, one, something like that. Um, just before we talk about where we can win or lose the game, I just want to talk about one more player. Um, obviously, we don't know who's going to be in the in the lineup on Saturday because I think even Forge, was, uh, the player you signed like just a few days ago, is now injured for a few weeks as well. So your injury luck has, has been similar to Blackpool's over the last few years. But luckily, we've kept a, a fairly solid side this year. But it must be difficult to go into a game to not really knowing who's lined up, but also hard for Critchley to work out because obviously we don't know who's going to come in and what formation you're going to play. So a lot of research is going to be needed by Critchley, but you, you also can't second guess sort of what team you're going to bring either. But the last player... I just want to quickly talk about before before we move on to how we can hurt each other in the match is your captain Omar Beckles. He's had a, a pretty torrid start to the season, hasn't he? In terms of a, a couple of what one one own goal, I think it was, or, or a couple of mistakes as well. And he's usually been a player who's been fairly reliable and and obviously very at the forefront of late in Orient and and rightly so being the captain. But he's had a bit of a tough time to the season. I don't believe that's in his ability to do that. But I had him talk after the Wiccan game and he was getting really frustrated by the out of time and what injury it's causing and the minutes that they're playing, etc. And But he also spoke with quite good elegance in terms of the fact that he feels the team's going to benefit from these matches and going to learn pretty quickly. So how do you see him at the start of the season? And is he going to be as an important player this season as he was last? 
I think you've summed it up quite well. Um, I wouldn't expect a man of his experience to be making the mistakes that he's been making or losing the battles that he's been losing, um, to be perfectly honest. So there is slight concern for me there. We saw it a little bit last season. He got away with a lot of things last season, arguably because he had a, a good side someone by his side but also he had an outstanding arguably champ top championship goalkeeper behind him that would potentially be able to cover we don't have that keeper now we have a different keeper who's new to us uh, new to the squad um, and is going to take time to gel but the one thing about Omar that everyone all the players that we met at the end of season awards supporters awards um, that that were held locally uh, was that he is a calming influence he's a good communicator he's a good leader and he helps to progress and talk players through games and, and helps them to to improve. So he, he brings a lot of qualities. And I think as the season progresses, I think we'll see that quality shine through. And, and, and also he'll start cutting out uh, the mistakes that he's made and, and, and do better at winning his individual battles. He does speak quite eloquently. He is a good uh, a good speaker. Um, and, you know, he is a good player who, who wants to do well. He's not making these mistakes because suddenly overnight he's become a terrible player or over the summer he's become a terrible terrible player he's not it's just circumstance and yeah Shaq Ford got has injured himself in the warm-up a few players have injured themselves in the warm-up I don't know what on earth is going on with our warm-ups or or, or, or training through the week but I think he's going to be available uh, on Saturday I hope that's not a spoiler or, or an alert to your management team who, who may have their eyes on that but I think Shaq Ford could be available um, whether he'll start probably not he'll probably come on late in the game he's he's a powerful, pacey player, so he could also do some damage uh, as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think Omar is 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 gonna gonna come good. Right, we're coming up to the hour mark, so um, we're gonna quickly talk about how we think we can exploit each other. And Martin, I'll bring you in in a second, but I just want to quickly ask Paul where I think looking back at your games, you've had and you've obviously scored, which will do your confidence. The world will get a couple of goals against Wickham. Um, where do you think you can hurt Blackpool? Obviously play, you were listening at the start, we play quite a rigid 5-3-2 and we haven't quite found our balance in midfield. And if you continue against Wickham with the same sort of confidence, which I'm sure Wellens will breed, mm. Paul Bale found success down there. So I see you exploiting that a little bit, but where do you, you've, you've obviously watched a lot more of Leighton Orient, where do you see us where do you see, sorry, Leighton Orient hurting Blackpool? I, one of the things about Richie is, as was mentioned just earlier, was is that he's the the side that he he puts together are a hard working, grafting side. Um, we defend from the front. Um, we don't expect our front men to score twenty plus goals or fifteen plus goals a season. We expect the goals to be shared fairly evenly across the players. Our top scorer last season, Paul Smith, only had ten goals, but we still, you know, we won the league. Bradford had the leading scorer on 25, 27 goals. Um, they're still in, in in League Two. So it doesn't mean that you've got, because you've got the most prolific goal scorer, that, that you're going to win the league. So it's really about sharing out that burden. And, and obviously, if you lose your top striker, it, for us, it doesn't matter because we've got other players that can bear that responsibility. Ruos Saturiu uh, scored both of those. I have high hopes and expectations for him to be in double figures. Um, come the end of the season, you know, good double figures. Um, but I, I think for us, we'll hurt you on the counter. I think we'll soak up any pressure, uh, any possession that you have. We, we've got good players who can unlock and make that the right decisions. I think it's just getting used to, to, to who's out there. And I think it's really hard to speak about who's going to be playing um, without really knowing who our injured 
uh, players are. Um, so from that point of view, it, it's very much. Um, uh, I think I think that's probably where we're going to be able to do some damage for you uh, to you. Sorry, um, but again, it just depends what Rich is seen in the analysis and what Joe the analysis the analyst has seen uh, from your three previous games as well, four previous games, if you include the cup as well. Yeah, Martin, where do you think Blackpool can do the damage on Saturday? I think for me, just to quickly summarise, I think we need to get the midfield balance right and potentially even change formation. If they go 4-2-3-1, they're going to balance us in midfield, but also potentially going to hurt us a lot more on the break um, with with the central defenders, obviously having, or Marvs especially, potentially having a mistake in him if he plays. Where, where do you think we can win win the game on Saturday, and um, um, what do you think needs to change for us to to, to have a better match? It's tricky, isn't it? Um, have, you know, having not watched Leighton Orient's games, but but from what Paul said, um, slightly different team to Port Vale, which 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 might suit us um, a little bit. Um, in so much that I don't think they'll be quite as I don't want to say negative because Port Vale did have chances, but but I, I think a little bit more adventurous, but. I would like us to see. I would like to see us um, have a have a, a, a defined front two partnership again, and not get sucked into this pack in the midfield business. Um, it just it just won't won't do for us. We we need to have a focal point up front, so to allow Lavery to uh, to you know to to make the correct runs and find the space that he did did against Burton so successfully. So. Um, we, we and and I would you know hopefully we can we can look at those wing back. Um, Positions and, and and change it, but I, I wouldn't be, you know, Critchley could play four four two. Will he be seeing it as failure if he drops the formation all of a sudden? I have a feeling he'll stick with it, um, but I would like to see the front the, the front two uh, be a front two and not just have an extra midfielder there, kind of like you know playing off Lavery, which which the other day did not work. And I don't really think we've got anybody in that position. Maybe um, we you know uh, could do that role, but I think. Uh, a defined front two would be the place to start. Um, and we might make a change at centre-back, potentially, because we have a centre-back that's taken a few too many risks for me. Yeah, Kurt, obviously Martin's alluding to um, Marv's there, but if you talk about the midfield, um, obviously Martin wants to see Beasley ideally up top, probably to give us some balance in terms of height with with Lavery. What would your midfield be? Because um, obviously we've got a new addition in this week, um, which we'll talk about in a second. But for me, Jensen Weir has to come in and, and Kerry has to be dropped because he was the personification of ineffective on Tuesday. Yeah, I, I think on, as I said earlier on, our midfield were very, is horizontal the right word? Lateral? In a straight line? Didn't move from it? Um, I want to see my midfielders passing, moving, driving forward, um, I think maybe is a sign for Matty Virtue um, to give Matty Virtue a go because I don't think Matty Virtue is so obsessed with passing the ball sideways and can like to go forward. But based on this new signing of Oakley Booth, I, I think we're probably going to see a midfielder or two go and Fribal and Virtue go. So uh, for me, I, yes, definitely we're for, for Perry. Um, I don't know if we're going to bring Beasley back. Um, I don't think that he's fancied, to be honest. I think they're look on the lookout for someone. Um, and I, th- I think we'd, I'd be very shocked if we didn't see a Sam Cosgrove tomorrow or someone tomorrow before we play. Um, and if we do see a Sam Cosgrove, we might get thrown straight in. But personally, I would keep the same formation based on what Leighton Orient going to play. But I'd want to maybe even push our, our midfielders a bit forward and leave Norburn to, to 
kind of sit. I don't want to see us passing it laterally for 25 minutes and then lumping it long to Lavery or over the top for CJ. So um, I bring I bring virtue and we're in for for Dougal and uh, Keeper Karen. Do you think um, staying with your point? Do you think that virtue will give an added sort of level into terms of what Dougal gave? I think Dougal was okay, fairly. I wouldn't say ineffective, but he he won the ball back a few times, but didn't impose himself on the game. Well, I see virtue sort of galloping in the midfield a little bit more and supporting Norburn centrally more so than for some reason wanting to, to come out wide and 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 not be that Dougal that, that we previously experienced. I think with Matthew Virtue is that he's not afraid to have a shot or to drive into the box. And what did we see? We saw so many crosses go into the box. We saw nobody wanting to have a have a pop, you know, um and, and, and if we did, yeah, I think Dougal smashed one over the bar and it, I can get hit um, Jason in, in the head. So, um, yeah, I, w- I want to see I want to see players that want to get in and around the box. And at the minute, I, we only saw that from Weir and, and nobody else, really. And, and Weir only played, what, 15, 20 minutes? So um, I think we just see what Virtue's about. Cool. Let's let's summarise then with our, with our predicted lineup. So going to go Grimshaw. I think... For me, husband retains his place, um, Kurt, because he actually drove forward like a winger naturally would. Yes, his final ball isn't great or wasn't great, but actually it was consistently within the box and we didn't have anyone attacking it. So I think he put himself in in, in the limelight and for all the right reasons, uh, although he's had his criticism this season, but husband's a pivotal part of this squad and do I think he's the best player in the world? Absolutely not. But I think he showed in games like that, if he didn't have his drive going forward, that we would have come under a lot more pressure. So for me, Hubby retains his place. Um, question goes, does um, Marv get dropped for Pennington? No. I think dropping Marv is probably the worst thing you could do for his confidence. I don't think he looks particularly confident at the minute. Um, I think one of the problems is, let's talk about Mark second before, I don't want to say too long, but he, he, he's passing the ball very wide, right? Because, our, again, our centre-backs, uh, uh, husband and uh, Casey are really far wide. They're, they're, they're really trying to play this wide. So when Miles got the ball, he's just seeing a striker come at him and he's, he's panicking. So And he's only seeing a Norburn or a husband, Norburn or... Um, a Casey. So I think we need to have a think about that and maybe um, swap Marv around with maybe Casey and get Marv on the right um, and, and or, or even on the left, not fussed either way. But I, I, I'd quite like to see Casey as the focal point of the defence. I think he's shown some really strong leadership. Um, so in the defence, I'd swap him around a bit and just get Marv a bit more comfortable and not the last line of defence almost. Leave Pennings out completely? Uh, on the bench. Well, well, that's what I meant, yeah. I think, well, we'll, see, we'll have to see, but I think he comes in fairly soon. But you're right, it's maybe the worst thing to do, but also when when one of his mistakes cost us a goal, as much as I'm a Marv's fan, I think maybe he needs to to maybe learn from it. I don't know, but I don't potentially see him dropped, but I potentially think that Critch signed Pennington to be one of his main players. So when he, when he can, I think he will come in. But okay, so stick with the same defence um, almost, no, no change at... Um, well, we'll talk about wing backs now. Actually, obviously, um, the same back three. Sorry, um, keep lines, but, but but moving right in my opinion. But who would you play on the left? Me, I'd play Thompson. I, I've set Thompson the whole season. I think he. We, we, we want to build a player up here. He's young. He's he's athletic. He's for me. He as a defender, he offers more. Um, and actually, if we're going to utilize CJ, then. 
then we need to change formation and we need to have CJ just concentrating on on hitting on the break or, or isolating a fullback. He's not going to create something when he's two against one or he's running from the halfway line. So, yeah, for me, Lyons and uh, Thompson at wing-backs. You agree with that, Martin? I know, I know you want to see Thompson more. 100%. I, I, I don't understand <laughs> why he's not playing because he was great in pre-season and he was great against Derby. And at the end of the day, if you're going to, usually with wing-backs, you're either asking a winger to learn to defend or or um, uh, a defender to learn to, to, to attack. You know, it's, some, it's out of the comfort zone. It's a very difficult position to master, I reckon, especially the lower you, you go down the, the levels. I think it's harder to, to master. And for me, Thompson is better at attacking than CJ is at defending, if that makes sense. So, so it's a no-brainer to me. And, and again, you know, don't want to criticise the manager, but if he plays CJ Hamilton... Uh, and drops and doesn't play Thompson on Saturday, I will be absolutely amazed. I think if anything, he he can actually use his head a little bit critically and change formation either from the start or if the game's being taken to his palette or when they find themselves one nil up, he's got to have the balls and the ability to go four two three one or four three three and and be brave and and bring bring Hamilton in. But I agree, I think Thompson and Lyons should should come in at wing back and. And we are in the middle, but I'll put the um, lineup we've predicted out on X just just shortly after this podcast. Um, we will talk finally um, just before we go into our predictions. Paul, we just, we we talk about a quick sign and that Blackpool made um, this week, and really alluded to it um, when talking about the lineup. But we all saw the van come out after the game. A good timing from the club, but what came afterwards, in my opinion, was was an anticlimax because we we're all expecting this big striker, weren't we, Martin? Um, I think I was like, "Who's this? Is it Cosgrove finally?" And, and we're going to sort of get another piece of the puzzle. But lo and behold, it was a, is a player who's been on trial with us. He's been at Tottenham in his younger days, but not impressed in in previous spells at Lincoln. Um, Martin, it was Oakley Booth who who's been on trial with us at Barrow when he was obviously pictured with with Kowasi and. It's a signing which Kurt said it's alluding to probably Tribal finding his way out of the team because he hasn't played other than the other than Derby and and potentially another outgoing if we're bringing any more midfielders in. But we're well stocked in that area. But Oakley Booth came as a bit of a surprise. Very unusual signing. Um, like we said before we came on air, we, we, I'm sat there like a 12 year old, refreshing it. Said all oh, the vans arrived. I'm saying to my missus. This is it. This is the striker. This is the striker. This is the striker. This is going to be awesome. And it was a guy that we've had on trial, and I'm not. That that doesn't mean to say that this guy is not going to be not going to do the business for us. He may well do the business for us, but I expected a striker, and it was disappointed because a ball carrying midfielder, as he um, calls himself, I wouldn't have thought was at the top of our shopping list. Really, when you consider other positions, um, yeah, I was disappointed, um, and that's awful. I'm, it, it, you know, but the reviews are not good. I mean, you know, Lincoln, Lincoln, some some people that we know. That are well connected with Lincoln have described him as as being. I want to be polite and say uh, not a success. Um, and I'm just I'm just find it very strange that, that the problem when you make a signing like this is though you, the, the the outcry on Twitter is oh we should have been prioritising a striker. Well, no one said we weren't prioritising a striker. It's just it's just disappointing because we're all like kids at Christmas that this is the one that gets unveiled first. <laughs> so yeah. with Tribal probably must be on his way out because I can't imagine that Tribal is on peanuts at Blackpool and he's not playing he clearly has a desire to go they need to get him off the book straight away because that would surely free up a wage surely yeah Kurt I'm actually intrigued by the signing I think I won't judge him based on what previous fans have said we've had this many times with Charlie Adams and DJ Campbells and other players where they've said oh you know this that and the other about him and 
they've turned out to be absolutely brilliant for us. I don't see Oakley Booth having that. Obviously, legacy with the Seasiders, but at the same time, if Critch can get him ticking and he has actually got the ability to work hard for the team, there's clearly something in there um, from his past. Yeah, there must be something. I think if um, it's Martin's just putting out in my packs a three-year deal, so it's not um, a season to see what he's like. Um, look, we're, we're the masters at Blackpool of, of having unfashionable signings become fantastic. You talk about Gary Taylor Fletcher, you know, Luke Varney's in our time where we were a bit like, you know, Stephen Craney, Ian Everts. I could keep going on. Almost everybody in that uh, you know, promotion side was, was written off before they touched the ball. So um, I think let's see what he can do. You know, um, I don't think he could do any worse than, than our midfield three on uh, on Tuesday night. Um, but it definitely looks like he's in because there's outgoings. Yeah, I agree. And it'll be interesting to see. We've only got, what, now a week and a half. Um, and I'm sure both Leighton Orient and Blackpool will be busy just due to the due to what they need and, and potential injuries for the O's as well. So um, we'll summarise. It's been a bit over the hour, um, but we'll, we'll finish as we always do with score predictions. And all the, these mean absolutely nothing. <clears throat> it's good to get a bit of insight into how you think the game's going to go, Paul. I'll start with you being our guest. Um, give us a little score prediction, Um for Saturday and and if you want how you think the game will pan out I never like to do a score prediction because I'm usually wildly wrong I'd take a point obviously at this moment in time because we haven't got any so to get our first point on the board would be great I don't necessarily do any I'm going to go one all I'm going to sit sit on the fence I'm going to go one all Blackpool to concede their first goal of the season then and what is your prediction um, for Saturday please mate um, I predicted a draw against Exeter, I think, in the last one. I think I predicted 1-1, one, one, but um, it was actually 0-0. I'm going to go a really entertaining game because we also have really miserable on the spot. I reckon it's going to be 4-3 to Blackpool or something. Um, it, we can't just have you know um, miserableness on this pod because um, that's what it's felt like talking about it tonight. Um, I think it'd be really entertaining. 4-3, why not? Something different. Yeah, won't talk about the last, well, the last time we played was during a time we didn't talk about. We did the league double over late in Orient, um, home and away with with some players I don't want to talk about because it was under previous ownership. But that was the last time we played, 2016 or 17. Um, so a long, long time ago. But this game, this this historic fixture for both of us, playoff yeah. finals and good league games, um, has thrown up some really decent games in the past, Martin. And then I'm actually... Probably looking forward to having late in Orient again because for me it was quite happy memories. I hate to say it, Paul, but the playoffs in 2001 was some of my fondest memories being a Blackpool fan as a kid. So um, I'm really looking forward to having the O's at Bloomfield Road. And, it sh- and in my opinion, it should be quite a, it should be, Critchley, get your brave boots out, a really end to end game. No, I, I, a bit like you, uh, Tom, I have a lot of affection for late in Orient. Um, the playoff final also going back further than that. Billy Ayres, um, second or the, the third season he was in charge and we, and we needed to beat late in Orient to stay up on the last day of the season. I was about 19 and it was great. Um, so so I wish late in Orient all the best, as I always say, after Saturday. Um, I'm going to go for 3-1. Um, we have to find our scoring boots and we can't keep keeping clean sheets for the, forever because um, it'll just be boring. So I think 3-1, 3-1. But it will be, it might be on a knife edge till the last 15, 20 minutes. But I haven't got one right, Paul, so it'd probably be 4-0 to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd snap your hand um, off that right now. Pre- predicting is not my bag. No, <laughs> really, no good. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with tradition from the first couple of games of the season. And uh, that's the only one I've got right so far this season. But 
I will go let a goal either side of half time with with a game of many chances and go for a two 0 victory to the seasiders. Let's hope I am correct. But I'm going to call that pod. Um, I'm going to end with saying a massive thank you to Paul from the Orient Outlook. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to to have you on. And sorry about the issues we've had at the start of the pod, but. You've been an absolutely brilliant guest and, and you've given us some really good insight to, to Leighton Orient and Richard Wellens. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks, guys. And after Saturday, I wish you all the best for the season. And yeah, we, we do have a shared affinity in the sense that I think when we came to you in 2017, that was the end of the era of our bad owner. I think we protested with you against your own yeah. well. So yeah, th- th- there's a lot of uh, warmth between our two clubs that won't be forgotten. So yeah, wish you every success for the rest of the season after Saturday and obviously not while you're playing us at home. But I think there will be, I think there's quite a few fans going up on Friday afternoon, doing a bit of a weekend, making a bit of a weekend. There'll be a good noisy contingent there uh, as well. We, we have been travelling in quite strong numbers as well. Um, Kurt, thanks again for, for coming on. Yeah, no, no worries. Um, moaning over now. Let's forget about Tuesday. Start again on Saturday. Um, quickly, come on, let's throw a few curveballs in there. Let's try to be a bit more positive. Um, the fans will back you. Um, but yeah, let's let's go again on Saturday and, and see where we get. Absolutely. I'm excited because I'm making my first uh, first game of the season. To making the 300 plus round trip, I'll be taking a few stops at service stations and um, enjoying my time there and before I hit back the road again. So, Martin, thanks again for coming on. Um, appreciate it. And I'll, I'll probably see you both on Saturday at some point, but I'm looking forward to the game. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it as well. And you, and Kurt's absolutely right. You stole my thunder. It has been a bit negative today. It was only because Tuesday was so incredibly boring. It's going to be miles better on Saturday and uh, we will be back here next week smiling, uh, hopefully. <laughs> Either way. But yeah, safe travels, Tom. Safe travels, Tom. Have a lovely trip to Blackpool. No worries. And from me at the It's Not Orange podcast, um, have a good evening, 